0: This is Lisa Miller and Associates Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. Now, here's Lisa Miller. Welcome friends and listeners of the Florida Insurance Roundup. We're going to talk today about the National Flood Insurance Program reauthorization or lack thereof. As you can imagine, supporting higher National Flood Insurance Program rates is about as popular as supporting higher income taxes. It may be necessary at times, and in the case of NFIP rates, actuarially sound to do so, but it certainly can kill a political career. So it shouldn't be any surprise to anyone that the U.S. Congress is still grappling with exactly what to do with the National Flood Insurance Program, mired in $25 billion of taxpayer-funded debt and still using old flood data and outdated maps Most agree the program needs a major overhaul. At stake here at home in Florida, 1.8 million NFIP policyholders, the largest concentration of any state. We represent about 35% of all of the 5.1 million NFIP policies. The U.S. House of Representatives in mid-November passed the 21st Century Flood Reform Act, House Resolution 2874, which was a package of seven bills that were combined into one that would do everything from extending the NFIP for another five years and other major reforms that are necessary. The bill moved to the U.S. Senate, which has been working on its own legislation, but it's likely Congress will do what it does when sometimes the tough issues face them, and that is kick the can down the road into 2018, leaving a lot of uncertainty in many markets. Today on the Florida Insurance Roundup, we'll focus on two of these key reforms, what to do with grandfathered properties that are still enjoying the 1960s-era premiums, and especially those with what we call repetitive flood losses, where they've had one, two, three, ten, or more claims under the flood insurance program, and how to remove barriers to a private flood insurance marketplace, which as we all know or probably most can agree, can offer better coverage at lower cost than the federal NFIP program. In fact, studies are showing that 77% of Florida properties would see lower premiums with private market policies. Joining us are Brian Squire, Managing Executive Senior Vice President at Hayes Companies in beautiful Destin, Florida. Hayes is a national insurance agency specializing in risk management, insurance, and employee benefits consulting. Brian, welcome.
1: My pleasure, Lisa.
0: And from Washington, D.C., Helen Devlin, Senior Lobbyist with the National Association of Realtors. Helen, thank you for joining us here at the Florida Insurance Roundup. Thanks, Lisa, for having me. Let's get started. Let's talk about grandfathered properties and those with repetitive flood losses or, in another way of saying it, homes or structures that get hit multiple times by floods. The bill passed by the U.S. House would strip grandfather rates after two future claims, with rates then rising 10% per year until the premium charged is the right rate for the risk. A third claim would see rates go up at 15% per year. Brian, what do you think about that?
1: It sounds good but in reality that's that's not what's happening uh we're seeing average increases of premium or rate at about five percent so with those rate increases in line uh we're not seeing a uh, departure from the national flood insurance program into the private markets
0: and of course this idea that the u.s house has that hasn't become law yet would kind of change what you're seeing you're currently seeing of this five percent increase but things might go a little crazy how much private flood insurance do you write brian i know you write for large commercial risk
2: well,
1: I can only speak for my office here in Destin, Florida. Uh, however, we write about 500 flood insurance policies uh, through the National Flood Insurance Program. Out of those policies, the majority of those policies are comprised of RCAP policies or the Residential Condominium Association policy or just the commercial property form policy. So out of all those policies, we only have one policy that's written through the private flood insurance market.
0: What would it take, Brian, For you to write more than just the single policy you have in the private flood insurance market, what do you think this market needs to do or make happen to move policyholders out of the federal program into what I believe is a better program altogether?
2: To increase
1: flood in the private insurance markets, uh, two things need to take place. One is the current grandfathering uh, positioning of FEMA needs to be tweaked a little bit. When a policyholder is moved out of a NFIP policy into the private market, their grandfathering provision goes away. If a tweak was made allowing that policyholder to come back at a future date and time with the grandfathering provision still in place, that would eliminate the majority of the fears that policyholders would have about moving away from the NFIP. The second item would be the insurance carriers writing the flood insurance policies of the policies that are being written in the private market right now is, is, is through Lloyd's of London. So there is a, a fear from the consumer about the stability of a Lloyd's of London type product having little regulatory uh, supervision from at the state level.
0: I can understand that. Sometimes unregulated markets are scary. Is part of the problem that you think national flood insurance is too cheap, and the and the private flood market can't compete? <laughs>
1: Barrier right now is the, the grandfathering position. If you were, were to make that slight change of allowing a policyholder back into the National Flood Insurance Program at that grandfathered rate, you would see a divesting of NFIP policies, at least from the residential condominium association policy with the commercial policy standpoint.
0: That makes good sense. And Helen, tell us about what the National Association of Realtors. You know, I know that you stay on the front lines. Your offices are right near the Capitol. Five minutes away. What is your involvement? What is NAR doing for the reform and reauthorization of NFIP? You
2: know, we've been working on this for a number of years. The program comes up, you know, just about every five years for Congress to reevaluate and reapprove, reauthorize to move forward. We have been uh, really trying to push and encourage Congress to get a longer-term reauthorization and to definitely address issues like growing a private market. And what Brian was talking about, about the barrier to grandfathering, allowing people to have a little bit of portability there, that is something we've absolutely been supportive of. There's some other legislation that's been incorporated into this larger flood bill I would, would do a, a few other regulatory tweaks so that it just makes it a little bit easier for the private market to to be there. We we are, we really think it's important to have that as a complement to having NFIP there as well. Um, so we we've been trying to get Congress to to really push things through. We're glad that this House bill has some momentum and we're really hoping that the that the Senate will be able to follow through at some
0: point soon. So what happens on December 8th when we know that the end of this program, which is this, you know, just around the corner, what will happen if they don't do anything, Helen?
2: if they don't get a, a full bill passed by both the house and senate and sent to the president before december 8th which seems pretty unlikely right now the program will be extended sort of status quo um much like you know there's a larger budget debate going on here in congress a, a big tax reform debate going on but the budget debate will, they're going to we'll know by the end of the week but they're probably going to sort of extend everything out to middle of December, end of December, so two weeks, maybe a month, and then possibly extend it again. But at least there doesn't seem to be a concern that the program itself will lapse, and the hope is that gives Congress a little more time, gives the Senate a little more time to really start working on a a comprehensive package that will will keep the program on a much better footing for the future.
0: So I want to take you back, both Helen and Brian, several years ago when the Biggert Waters Act passed. And then there was a a bill a couple of years later called the, we call it Bigger Waters 2. And those two names are the members of Congress that pushed these bills through. And in those bills, there were steady rate increases. Brian, what have you seen in terms of the effect of these two pieces of legislation in the marketplace? Good for the market? Harmful? What do you see?
1: I I think it's irrelevant at this point. Uh, You know, you had the insurance reform act of 2012 that was uh, launched uh, at that time the the cost scare to the consumers across the nation was so great that uh, it was walked back in future legislation that came out in uh, 2014. Looking back, it would have been better to take a a different approach. But moving forward, I think addressing the grandfathering issue, looking at some of the private market carriers that are willing to write flood insurance, and then also uh, looking at maybe some deductible options to get more skin in the game from the policyholder standpoint. uh, I think uh, if you look at the policy deductibles for flood insurance, they can be as low as $5,000 and up to $25,000 uh, for certain lines. I think that could be increased, similar to some wind insurance deductibles that are uh, in, in some of the states that have wind insurance programs. Uh, maybe not a percentage, but a, a maybe a flat deductible, but by Possibly raising the deductible, uh, it could save the program some money. Just for example, uh, with Hurricane Harvey, there were uh, 82,000 claims filed. You know, let's just say in a, a perfect a, a scenario that all 82,000 were claims at a thousand dollar average deductible. That's an 82 million dollars right off the bat in flood insurance losses. So if you were to increase that deductible, say to five thousand dollars per claim, that would be. $410,000 in damages or savings to the uh, program of $320 million. So it, it definitely doesn't put a large dent into the uh, $24.6 billion uh, deficit. However, it is a good start.
0: Helen, how do you think your members would react or their buyers or sellers would react if Congress or the NFIP started tinkering? Because, you know, so the deductible means that the The policyholder pays more, but I think what Brian's saying is it would be a great win-win for everybody to just pay a little bit more. What are your thoughts about that? Would they have any reaction to that? I think definitely... Having more options for
2: people out there, definitely having a variety of places to go for um, consumers to get flood insurance. You know, it's a federal requirement in in many parts of the country that they have to have it. It has to be part of that home buying process. So I think the more we can do to give some variety through the private market as well. Uh, one thing that we, you know, as we look at this, it, and clearly, I mean, getting back to the original question, you know, on the on what was sort of happened with this rollback. I think it was a real eye-opener for many people, for many in Congress, that this mismatch between, you know, what someone's true risk is and what the rates are that they're paying are, are really are really out of whack and need to be figured out in a much more detailed way. We've got the technology. they do the research. I think if we can get NFIP to a place and actually just get that information, it will help the private sector as well, that's much better gauge on kind of where people's true risk is and what their ratings ought to be that that I think will help. Um, I think that will, um, now at the same time, you know, no, we don't want there to be big surprises on homeowners. We think there's gotta be a way to implement some rate changes, implement some changes, maybe the deductible change or, or if that's something, you know, that becomes an option out there, we've got to do it in a way that's truly, you know, reasonable and sensible. That was one of the sticker shock problems with the bigger waters bill is that the markets weren't ready. People just weren't ready for, for what these numbers were that were coming out. Um, and I think we've got to figure out an implementation that that makes things reasonable so you don't see problems with the housing market that come along because all of a sudden rates change or, or deductibles change dramatically overnight. But I, I think it's an option worth exploring.
0: Thank you, Helen, and and I can hear your passion and your voice, Brian, yours as well, with your technical knowledge. I think that we have a lot to do. I saw where Milliman, the worldwide actuarial firm, was just awarded a contract by FEMA to design new nationwide rates, so I think that's the subject of our next podcast. Perhaps I'll get you guys to come back and join us with a representative from Milliman to talk about what the rates are and are not, and, and it's very refreshing to hear the realtors recognize that something needs to be done with rates, but not to the point where it just brings to its needs, the real estate market. So I want to thank both of you for being a part of this. Any final closing comments, Brian?
2: None for me. Thank you for having
0: me. And Helen?
2: Just thank you for, uh, you know, all the all the work that you do on this. We're hoping we can get a reauthorization bill that puts the program on better footing, expands the availability of the private market, and, and, and is also workable for the homeowners.
0: Thank you, Helen. And and just some closing thoughts for our listeners today. You know, as we said earlier, Florida, we're sitting here in beautiful Tallahassee, one point eight million NFIP policyholders, the largest and largest concentration in the nation. And, you know, Congress is going back and forth about how to what is the balance between this program and keeping it financially sustainable so we can keep our real estate markets in check. But you know, we've all heard the statistic that every four dollars that we in Florida, paying FIP premiums, Florida gets back just a dollar in claims. And sometimes, you know, we need to recognize it's great not to have claims, but that ratio just seems a bit out of whack. Governor Scott recently complained to Congress about that fact and saying that claim payments after Hurricane Irma have been really slow. FEMA rolled out some new flood maps in many of Florida communities over the past few years, and they're trying to get those things updated. So, We just believe the future looks bright. The best news is that we have about 20-plus private carriers riding in Florida, riding an itty-bitty amount. But itty bitty is better than nothing. And so I do what I can with our team to talk to CEOs about getting in this space. So we want to hear from, from you that are listening today. What do you think about the best way to balance flood insurance affordability with sustaining the NFIP, cohabitating, if you will, with the private market? Well, you know what's your experience with this NFIP program? Call us and leave us your comments or questions. You know, we'll do an on-air discussion with you. You know, the Florida Insurance Roundup is here for you. The number to call is 850 850- 388-8002. that's 850-388-8002. Or drop an email to me at Lisa Miller at Lisa Remember, we've got a passion for policy and client success. Thank you for being a part of our team and keeping your ears on the ground and your heart in this market that we have that is so important to all of us. Until next time, be safe. This has been Lisa Miller and Associates' Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. For more information on today's program, please visit us on the web at www.lisamillerassociates.com.